Uh, turn with me to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. I want you to notice, especially as we read it, uh, verses 4 through, uh, 4 through 7, that show the futility of worshiping idols. Shows the futility of worshiping idols. Uh, and, and then also, verse 8, that those who make them will be like them. Major, major part of what we want to convey today. Uh, hear God's word. It is amazing. And it is freeing to us. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they make no sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, you who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's, are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do those who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we again pray the illuminating power, uh, the precise location that each of our hearts needs uh, hone in on us as individuals and as a church body. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. The biggest problem that you have, and you may not be aware of it, the biggest problem you and I have is idolatry, breaking the first commandment, that is putting other gods before God himself. Calvin is, is famous for this sentence. Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Your heart and mine, a factory of idols. Rosaria Butterfield uh, plays some riffs on this theme uh, using these words. 
One very difficult aspect of sin is that my sin never feels like sin to me. My sin feels like life to me. Plain and simple. My heart is an idle factory and my mind an excuse-making factory. Especially when it comes to dealing with the kind of sin that clobbers me most. Indwelling sin. The unrelenting, ever-present kind that never takes a Sabbath. Whoa! Is it that bad? Our minds, idol-making factories, our hearts, our minds, idol-making factory and excuse-making factories. Second point of introduction uh, is that Romans 1 uh, points to the root sin in every human's heart, and that is refusing to glorify God and to give thanks to Him. All of the sins that follow in Romans chapter 1 the, the making of gods out of the created world all flow from this sin of refusing to glorify God and giving thanks to Him. We are made to worship. And if we do not worship God, we will worship some other created thing. Now, let me give a definition of idolatry. Idol, that is anything more important to you than God. Whatever claims the loyalty of your heart that belongs to God alone. You give up loyalty that you owe God to some earthly uh, um, thing. Again, it is whatever your heart clings to or relies on for security. One way to help us to maybe nail, narrow down what our gods might be is to our false gods, our idolatry that we tend to, would be to, to end this sentence on your own. We act as if God couldn't make me happy without blank, fill in the blank. We act as if God could not make us happy without this thing, whether it is money but it's not really the money, it's the security. It's the, the help and the shield that money can provide, or at least we think it can. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a mate, or, or a certain kind of family that fits our image of what a good family is like, because we really care what other people think about us. My son had hair that I thought was too long uh, while, when he was growing up. It was just about as long as what, what I had at his age. But it was too long on him. And, and I can remember saying to someone in our church back in Frederick who asked me why I allowed my, friend to have long, my son to have long hair like this. And I said, so that when people like you ask me about it, I can point out that it's really not that important. We all have our idolatry, don't we? We all have the things that we, that we love. Whether it is money, whether it is relationship, whether it is prestige, or just having a good reputation in front of other people. 
That's not a bad thing, but we can want it and need it too much. And then it is called fear of man. That probably fits every one of us in this room. W.B. Yeats said, Man is in love and loves what vanishes. We love, but those things are elusive and disappear. And those things end up enslaving us and certainly not satisfying us. The Frenchman uh, um, Alexis de de Coqueville uh, made this comment after traveling around our, our brand new country uh, back in, this, in the, uh, the 1700s. He said this, There is a strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. The incomplete joys of the world will never satisfy the heart. Now this psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm, uh, psalm 115, we need it. And I'm going to emphasize three things that we need it for. First of all, to see Christ, or else we will be blind. To hear Christ's voice, or else we will go deaf. And to walk on His path, or we will wander off and become lost. To see Christ, to hear his voice, to walk on his path. Now the opening several verses, couple of verses here, uh, speak of the fullness of God, the fullness of God. Simply put, God is always more than enough. Uh, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, uh, give glory. We inflate ourselves. We inflate stuff in our lives to, to idol status and thereby devalue the creature. We clutch glory for ourselves, but we say, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to you belongs the glory. William Wilberforce uh, recognized the tendency of his own heart. You remember he worked for years to try, seek to persuade the British Parliament to outlaw the slave trade. And on the day that, that Parliament finally acted to end not slavery itself, but the slave trade, he turned to this passage. And he said, Keep me humble before you now, Lord. Not to me, O Lord, not to me, but to your name give glory. We see that God's people uh, are often taunted. God himself is mocked. You can't see the God you worship. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? But verse 3 is is always true. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is far above us. He is the true living God that cannot be tamed, that cannot be domesticated, that cannot be managed. That's the fullness of the God whom we worship. He's always more than enough. But verse 4 turns sharply And we see here the emptiness of idolatry. What is described here is the primitive form of idolatry in the Old Testament, which is a huge theme throughout the scriptures. 
Uh, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, e- eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they make m- no sound in their throat. Uh, uh, Isaiah 44 uh, takes a, a similar approach, this time using wood, and, and uh, the, the writer there describes uh, that you cut down a cedar or a cypress tree, and you burn it in the fire, and you warm yourself with it, and the, with the rest of that, you, you, build, you build an idol, and then you bow down and worship. This, of course, is foolishness. Uh, you, you believe that as you made that gold or silver or, or wooden statue, that your God um, chose then to, to, to dwell in that little shelf-sized, that shelf-sized little idol that you've made for it. It's foolishness, of course. The Babylonian exile broke Israel of its literal idolatry. The people were taken away, taken out of the land, and they never returned to the worship of gold or silver of idols. Was their idolatry broken? You may wish to turn with me to Romans chapter 10, an important verse there. The Jewish nation would never again worship the other nation's literal idols, but they developed another idol, an idol of religion. They became addicted to the works of their righteousness. They became addicted to their performance of the law before the Lord. Look with me at at Romans 10, verse 3. Four. Being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness, seeking to build a record of obedience to the Lord, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What is God's righteousness? It is that which is given in the Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all righteousness, who won who defeated the, the, who fulfilled the law, who secures righteousness for us that we receive by faith. And they say, I don't want to gain righteousness by faith. I want instead to gain righteousness by my own performance. That's hard to detect, isn't it, when religion has become your idol. You are there as an obedient person. You're one that people look up to and they applaud. And this is not just the problem of Pharisees. This creeps into our own hearts as well. Verse 8 is a staggering statement. Look with me back at verse 8 of Psalm 115. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Do you follow that? If you build an idol... You turn your eyes away from God. You build an idol. You worship that idol. You trust in that idol. And you become like that idol. Not like the God in whose image you are made. Uh, Greg Beale wrote a book uh, entitled We Become 
what we worship. We, a catchy title, we become what we worship. And he intends for us to just understand that that means we become like what we worship. Mouths that can't really speak anymore. Ears that listen to other voices besides Jesus. And feet. Yes, you have feet, but you don't walk. You're stuck. You're, you're stuck. Now these, of course, refer to these crafted idols that are dead and inert. You, they, they can't do anything. And what does that say? You become dead and inert as you follow them. The question for us now is, can the modern gods that we construct also leave us dead and lifeless, dead and inert? Can we become like them, uh, objects that are not alive? Listen to this. You are blind. When you pursue an idol, you are blind to the beauty of Christ. When you pursue an idol, you are deaf to his voice. When you pursue an idol, uh, you have no legs. That is, you have no power to walk in his path, to love him or to serve him. You expect, listen to this, you expect them to help you. You expect them to be your ally, your friend, to assist you. You expect them to shield you, to keep you safe, as if loving money can protect you, can pad your life. Blind to Christ, deaf to his voice, and no power to serve God. Again, there is a, there is a beautiful shift in, in, uh, in verses 9 to 18. And that is a call, therefore, to trust God and even to enjoy the things that he's made. Trust God and enjoy the things in this world that he's made, but not too much weight on them. Uh, ver verses 9 and following are full of hope and buoyancy. There is, there is a joyful life of faith. As I, as, I, as I read those verses, did you hear the repetition? First Israel, and then the house of Aaron, and then all who fear the Lord. After each one of those, he is your, their, their help and their shield. He is their help and their shield. He is their help and their shield. Only God can protect you. Your idols cannot be a hedge against loneliness, a hedge against inflation, a hedge against the ravages of this world. In your idolatry, you may forget this, but God has a bountiful heart. Verses 12 and 13. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. And then these same three entities mentioned again. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. You cannot hold back the heart of God, the bountiful heart of God to give you blessing. He has given you all kinds of reasons to give up the idols that, that capture our hearts. And he goes on to say, and, and the heavens and the Lord's, verse 16, belong to God, but the earth he has given to you. Enjoy the things of this life. Enjoy the things that he has made. Just don't put too much weight on them. Enjoy what he's made, but don't worship it. Enjoy what he's made, but keep it within its proper bounds. 
There's nothing here that can save you, but still enjoy it. Enjoy it. Well, I want to conclude with three points of application. And this is where we have to take what we just, what we just heard and make it as practical, as practical as we possibly can. And I want to do this in two statements and a, two questions and a statement. Calvin and Rosaria <laughs> stated very, very boldly that, that we are, our hearts are idle factories and excuse-making factories. That's, our, that's the problem. Do we accept that? Another way to ask that question, do we accept the fact that, that the first commandment still needs to apply to us? That we, st- we still need to not put other gods before him, and that our hearts tend to do so? Can we say all those things? If so, we must be able to answer this question. What in this world do you love, long for, or pursue ahead of God? What in this world do you long for, love, and pursue ahead of God that cause you to to take steps away from a life of faith and obedience? Lead you away from trusting and obeying God. Remember, Rosaria said that sin, that, that sin, uh, that idolatry makes sinning reasonable. Are there sins that you commit even now that have come to make sense to you because you actually prefer them you prefer them to obeying God. Has your idol- can you identify where your idolatry may have made may have made you prefer sinning to following the Lord? Where do you put your functional trust? A way to get at this question is without um, which life doesn't seem to be complete or worth living. What are you trusting in that without which life does not seem complete or worth living? What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? First thing that comes to your mind. What do you long for? What do you want to see happen? What do you think you need? One way, one application of this, and this is going to sound strange, but one thing that we can prefer to trusting in Christ is being satisfied in our own righteousness. It is to doing, doing exactly what Romans 10, verse 3, uh, God said, do not do. Um, sometimes we, um, we believe that as we trust in ourselves, our own righteousness will be our help and our shield. Our own righteousness... We, we desire that when we want to be acceptable to God and other people on the basis of what we ourselves do. Does your own righteousness keep you from being satisfied in Jesus? Uh, listen to what George Whitfield says about this. Self-righteousness is the last idol to be taken out of our heart. The pride of our hearts will not let us submit to the righteousness of Christ. That's just one example. But that's a very prevalent one among Christians. I'm satisfied with my righteousness. And that shows up in the way, of course, by the way that I might gossip or criticize, about, criticize other people. Other kinds of, of idols as well here. What in this world do you love, pursue, or long for that takes you away from trusting and obeying God? Second question. This is a motivation question. This is to help you to say, I, I want to turn from that 
Because it's not going to deliver what it promises. Second question is this. How does it cheapen you? How does it cheapen you? Remember, you will become like them. You will not be able to speak. You will not be able to see. You will not be able to hear. You will not be able to march, to obey. Uh, You become like what you worship. Consider how, how the thing that you desire the sinful thing that you desire, or desire it to a sinful degree, can be like tendrils, can be like, like strings that keep you bound to the surface of this earth. Even, even this idol of righteousness that we just talked about cheapens you. Why? Well, you are, you are satisfied with outward shine without really tending to what your heart desires. You're satisfied with looking good to other people and you trust to God because you're better than most. And yet, you're, you, you do not rest upon the ministry of the Spirit to enable you um, to get beyond just the keeping of the law but having it, uh, having it provide your motivation in your heart. See, it dulls your vision of Jesus. You become spiritually blind and deaf and cuts off your legs so you no longer have power to obey and to serve God. What about the idol of sex? You are designed to express um, and to... Uh, and, and sex is designed to express and to enhance the intimacy that a husband and wife have together. That's the safety zone of sex. It resides, however, all out in the world in all kinds of places and in our own hearts and minds in all kinds of places as well. But outside of marriage, um, it is, um, it is um, sex uh, acting out and, and, and indulging in those sexual thoughts cannot be anything short of worship of self. Cannot be anything short of worship of self. C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way, memorably, um, so maybe you'll remember it as well. Every man who is going to a brothel is really seeking God. The last thing he wants is a woman. That is, there are hungers and there are desires that we have for intimacy that only God can provide. And the very last place that that man is looking for is from a woman. He's not looking for a woman to have a relationship with, but simply to service him. That is a completely self-oriented in every form of thought, of lust, of, of self-sex. It's, it's serving yourself and denying the very purpose for which God has given sexuality. And so we are becoming less authentic and less like God. We are becoming, as we follow this road down this avenue of sexual impurity, following this road to the, down so that we do not hear we do not see, we do not have the power to obey God. You will either reflect your creator or something else in creation, worshiping, in this case, yourself. Point number three, and this is, this is now what do you do with it positively. You, you, you see that you, you have idols, you see, secondly, that they are unproductive, unhelpful, do not enhance your life, they are a dead-end street, Thirdly, practice beholding Christ, and the Spirit will transform you. Practice beholding Christ, and the Spirit will transform you. A, a, a line from Greg Beale's book, and, and, I, and I love this, 
it, 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 it says, what you revere, you resemble, either for your ruin or restoration. You revere an idol that leads to ruin. You revere the Son of God, the image of God. And the Spirit takes you down that path of restoration. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. This is, this is the scripture now, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And you are being transformed into the same image. As you behold the glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you defeat your idol by being preoccupied with the original, with the image of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. John Newton tells us that this is not an easy thing to do. Listen to these words. I find that to keep my eyes simply on Christ as my peace and my life is by far the hardest part of my calling. The very thing, people, that I'm asking you to do to keep your eye, your, the practice beholding Christ, Newton says is the very hardest thing he knows in the world to do. It is by far the hardest part of my calling. It seems far easier to do, deny myself a thousand instances of outward conduct. It's easier for me to do a thousand different things that are of an outward, showy nature than to set my heart on Jesus as my life and my peace. And that's why we, we prayed earlier today, Ephesians 1. Holy Spirit, uh, illumine uh, the eyes of my heart that I may know Christ. I mean, know Christ. To be satisfied in Him, to see him as altogether lovely, so much better than my idols. However much they hook me, Jesus is so much better. Holy Spirit, help me to help me to hate sin. I see it now as an idol. And I want to be repulsed by it. It is not my life. You are. It is not my master you are. Shine in my heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me be satisfied with nothing less. You might meditate on a poem by John Donne. Take me to you. Imprison me. For I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free. Nor chased, except you ravish me. Let me say that again. Take me to you. Imprison me. For I, except you enthrall me, Never shall be free, nor chaste, except you ravish me.
conclude with a quote from Richard Lovelace. The faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from other sources is actually the root of holiness. Seeing the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ is the root of holiness as we turn from our idolatry. Children, children, um, those who are hearing me this morning, have you come to the place where you see Jesus as more important, more necessary for your heart and life, who is your, whom you love more than anything else in this world, Take him up today. Trust in him. Say to him, I want you as my savior. Nothing else. You as my savior. Nothing else. And of course, the bigger people among us, we too, must ask that question. Perhaps you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you may have to admit yourself, there are a lot of other things that creep in there too, along with Jesus. And may you too be able to say, I want Jesus more than anything else. Holy Spirit, light up my heart. Let's pray. Lord, we've spoken about things that seem impossible for us to do today. And yet, um, we um, may not think of ourselves, even for a moment, apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we know that you, you desire to um, give the spirit of wisdom and revelation to our, the eyes of our hearts, that they may be enlightened. And so we're trusting in that today. Just help each one of us to be able to identify in our own lives and then to be willing to do something about the idolatries that still control us and to a greater de- degree than we like to admit. So work in us, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.